Um, I'm blessed by all three of you. It's just, I, good. I've been uh, undone by your testimonies and by your strength and your devotion to the Lord. Thank you. Um, and use the Slido app. If you haven't downloaded it or haven't, uh, it's 86116 is the code, slido.com. If you uh, have a question. And I see one that came in at 1107, so we haven't had one yet. Still getting over your testimony, Lord. Um, ah, here we go. Laura, how do we reach youth struggling with transgender lifestyles? It's a big question. Yeah, I think, uh, is this one on? I don't think it's no? on. Okay, let me try that one. Okay, whoa, yeah, that one's on. Okay, so um, one thing that I think is really important, I think it's been mentioned several times this weekend, um, but really listening to people, asking questions, but really listening. I, so many of these kids are so broken, and a lot of times they really don't know why they have these feelings and these desires, but a lot of times I've watched them come to these conclusions, and they're like, oh my goodness, I never thought of that before. And so I think sometimes that as they sort of process their own story, um, I actually learned a lot from my story just from writing it and from telling it so many times. And I think sometimes as they sort of work through those details and some of those memories. So one thing I might say um, is, um, tell me, and if, you, and if you ask them how long they felt that way, that almost all of them will say, oh, I've always felt that way. That, that is the stock answer. But if you ask um, instead, say, tell me your earliest memory of feeling that way. That gets at a specific memory. And sometimes they're aware of that question and they'll try and dodge it. You know, but if you can, um, most of them, they'll really think, and if they can kind of go back to that earliest memory, it starts to reveal a little bit to them. And I think that's really effective. Just be really, really patient. Um, I, I tend to be impatient and I want to fix people. And I'm like, I know the answer. Like, I just want him to see that. And the Lord reminds me all the time what a long journey this was. He was so gentle and so patient. So I think that's a big part of it. All right. I'm going to try without the mic so that we can just keep it. Uh, for the recording. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Um, this is a great question. How can we pray for you? Well, I just started a ministry called Living Waters. Um, it's from a ministry named Desert Stream by Annie Comiskey. And it really does address well the journey of healing from sexual relational brokenness and so while it did come out of the ex-gay community and got developed there because it's holistic in its approach it works for any kind of brokenness really and so we just got a pilot going so if that comes to mind and you want to pray for us we would love that spiritual warfare is always an issue when you're taking background 
from Satan. So we are just getting started. We're in week uh, six. Monday will be our sixth time together. And it's going to be 15 weeks. And, and hopefully this will become our leadership team and we'll release it to the church at large. We'll have to grow slowly because it is really one-on-one discipleship in the areas that are deep. Um, so it's slow. It takes time. So just that we get through, that we will commit to be leaders, and that we'll make headway. Yeah, um, I think for me, there's a, a couple of things. I, I forgot to mention that I work for First Stone Ministries in Oklahoma City, and we are a ministry somewhat similar to Path of Life. We don't deal as much with um, the um, helping women who have either have had abortions or, but um, we're, we're basically a ministry to the sexually broken, we call it. But we're actually dealing, it used to be much more centered around homosexuality, but we are getting people from all walks of life that are just broken. And so we're, we're expanding a little bit in that area. Um, but specifically, we really need help with finances. They're down because of COVID and other things. Um, but the Lord is opening a lot of doors for us. Um, but we need help with finances. But also the spiritual warfare around our, our ministry has been intense. And so please, please pray. Um, a lot of battles on us physically as well as um, spiritually. Like I cannot tell you the amount of times that Satan is always coming at me with thoughts like, um, like, you know, nobody wants to hear your story anymore. <laughs> All these things, like, I get, the spiritual warfare is really intense. So, that's that's the two things that I really need prayer for. Oh, this works now. Okay. Um, personally pray that I'm able to do all the different things that God wants me to do. So I still have four kids at home and thank God they're doing well. Like I just have such great kids. Um, But my husband's a pastor and I feel very called to our church and ministering to our people there. But I also feel this burden to minister to kids of the world, you know, and the formal, you know, giving them a voice. And then I also work for another nonprofit marriage movement. Um, and I love all of that. I'm called to do all of it. Um, and so I, you can just pray for me, right, that I'm able to give each of those the attention they're due. But if I could ask for something really specific for them before us for this ministry, I feel like I'm always reacting. Um, they'll, I'll see Nina go, oh, oh, I should write about that. You know, or um, there's a court case, and I go, oh, well, maybe I should submit something. I want to be proactive, but I'm not a visionary. Um, and so would you ask God to tell me what big thing I should be asking for? Right? I want to ask for the big thing, but I don't even know what that is because I'm so swamped in the temporal and by the urgent needs in my life. But if you could tell God, um, ask him to tell me what big thing I should just be asking him for so that I can appeal to him for that and then watch it happen, I would really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, Katie, what does the UN Declaration of Rights say about children's rights, if anything? So the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, uh, I think that's what you're referring to, is the most widely ratified treaty in the world. Every country on the planet has signed it, except the United States. Um, And that's because while the UNCRC gets a few things right, it doesn't get everything right. In fact, it sort of mixes what I would call natural rights with um, 
really what are commodities, right? And a lot of like adult groups in the United States, parental rights groups, have been concerned that to fulfill the UNCRC would actually be to infringe on parental rights here in the United States. So there's some valid reasons why um, the United States has not ratified the CRC. Um, but when I do like international speaking or um, sharing or advising people in other countries, the UNCRC offers um, a very nice kind of uniform language that they already have recognized and a lot of times have embedded in their laws in their own country. So in the first chapter of my book, uh, we talk about why children have a natural right to their mother and father. Um, and then we do explain that it's recognized in the CRC, but then we also give us a, a robust natural law defense and philosophical defense for a child's natural right to their own mother and father. So the CRC is helpful um, in interfacing with other countries, but you don't really need it to make a compelling case for children's rights. Laura, this one's for you. What advice uh, do you have for parents of children struggling with gender identity? I think the, the number one thing for parents to remember um, is to, to keep their eyes on Jesus, to keep abiding in the vine, um, and I'll tell you specifically how, how to um, reach your child as well. But I think we forget that. And I was just reading this morning about um, Abraham and how when he, um, God told him to sacrifice Isaac, and he goes up there, you know, and then God, of course, stops him and provides this lamb. But he said, um, God said, now I know that um, you, have not you have not withheld your only son. Now, and I think so often... Um, we don't realize how much we're hanging on to our own children, how we're trying to be their savior. Um, remember that Jesus is their savior. And keep your eyes on him and point to, I think one time my mom asked me, she was really just, we, we were in the car one day and she'd been hearing me talk about all this brokenness in our childhood. And she was thinking about all these things she was trying to do. And she, she started sobbing and she said, um, she said, I, how could... I have done everything I was doing, and she was doing a lot for our family, and plus for the church. She said, how could I have done everything I was doing and still shown you all the love and attention you needed? And we just kind of looked at each other, and it dawned on me that no human is ever going to be everything that we need. We really need to be pointing our kids toward Jesus and say, you know, um, I am so sorry that I have failed you. I'm so sorry I have not been the perfect parent or I'm so sorry I can't come to this game or whatever it might be and say, um, you know, God is always going to be there for you. Tell them about who God is and how God can provide and fulfill those needs. And you can even tell them, you know, God designed mommy and daddy to help, you, uh, help point you to God, but we are not your perfect parent. Only God is. And so f specifically for the child that's... Um, that's dealing with this. It, a lot of it depends on where they're at. A lot of it depends on age. A lot, you know, if they're a very, very young child, a lot of times they're just confused. A lot of times they may have heard something in the culture. They may have heard something in the media. A lot of times a good conversation. Uh, Denise Schick, for very young children, Denise Schick is a wonderful resource. Um, she has a ministry called Help for Families. Um, so... I think that's a little more out of my experience. Even though I dealt with this, I don't know how I would have reached me as a young child other than, again, good conversations, listening, lots of good questions, really just helping them kind of process why they're feeling that way. 
I, really, a lot of it is just confusion and misunderstanding. They want to be heard. But if you have an older child that is really rebellious and is giving you ultimatums, and that's kind of where I was at, and I was like, you get on board or get out of my way. And I didn't, I didn't really want a relationship with my parents. I wanted their affirmation. And if they weren't willing to give it to me, then I wanted them out of my life. And that's the reality of sometimes where these kids get to when they're really, really broken. You, you, you can try and share the truth with them, but if they're really, really opposed, um, you can battle for them on your knees. You can pray. Um, but I was asked a, a question earlier that I wanted to address. I don't know if it's on the... Yeah, but I, this is one of the most common questions I get, but somebody asked me, and I couldn't answer it earlier, um, about pronouns and the names that they want to use. So this, this does become very, very difficult, but I, I think as Christians, we first have to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind. And if we can remember to love God first and then others and not get that out of order, um, I think that's a really important foundation because I think sometimes we want to love people in the way they want to be loved. And that's not necessarily love. And um, for me, my mom, and my dad didn't either for the most part, um, didn't call me Jake. They didn't call me their son, anything like this. And so um, I hated it at first. And I would scream at them and I would yell at them and I would say, you've got to call me Jake. You've got to get over this. This is who I am. I'm never going to change. And let me tell you, the devil's a liar. <laughs> so, you know, but I would tell them that over and over and over. And we would have these wars and... Um, the reality was that my mom not calling me Jake was like a tether to reality to me. It, it's like God never let me forget who I was. And so actually, and I think, um, I think it's really important to keep reminding people of who they are. And even as Christians, I can't be part of a lie. I cannot um, be party to a lie. And the other thing I feel like God revealed to me the other day, everybody I know that... Um, is struggling with these lifestyles, especially once they've really embraced it. I know that they have demonic spirits. You can see it in their eyes a lot of times. And I know that I did, and many I've talked to knew they had demonic spirits. And when you are affirming that over them, you're actually strengthening that demon. So your mom never stopped calling you Laura? No, a lot of times, okay, so a lot of times she would call me honey, sweetie. She would find other things, but she would call me Laura at times, and it would make me so angry but I would get over it. (laughs) And I knew, and this is the secret. There are so many, like, I'm telling y'all the devil's a liar. Like, there were, I knew that my parents loved me. In fact, the most loved I felt before I came out of the lifestyle, the most loved I felt by them the entire time was the night I came out to them. Because the night I came out, they were sobbing and sobbing and sobbing, and they begged me not to do this. They said, please don't do this. We love you so much. We will do anything for you. And I had been horrible to them. I forgot to tell about what a horrible teenager I was to them. (laughs) I put them through hell, and they were begging me, and they said, we love you so much. We know who you truly are. We will help you. And I was so angry that night because I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I remember thinking, I wish they didn't love me so much because I want to do what I want to do, and I want them to get out of my way. Um, but I knew how much they loved me. And I'll just tell one other quick story. This is just funny. This always makes me laugh. But I think this just gives God's perspective on it as well. Remember, he asked me what name he would call. He would not call me Jake. And, but he also, I had this credit card. All of my credit cards had gotten put into my legal name, Jacob. That was my legally changed name. 
but I had one credit card that I could not get changed in the same because they lost my paperwork twice. And I think the Lord had just done this. And I had to send like a copy of driver's license, birth certificate, court order, all this really sensitive information through the mail and they lost it twice and want me to send it a third time. And I said, you're out of your mind, I'm not doing so, um So I had this one credit card that's still in my name, Laura. So um, eventually though, I miscut payments. I don't remember the reason, but I had to call in every month. I couldn't pay it online anymore. I had to call in every single month to make the payment with a representative over the phone. So every month they would say, are you Laura? And I remember every month going, I, it was like God was asking me. And I remember the conviction that would come over me. And it was like every month I was having to lie about it and say, no, that's my wife or whatever. You know, I'd make up some excuse. And a lot of times I wasn't even consistent because I'd forget. <laughs> but every month it was like God was asking me, are you Laura? So I have a question um, for both of you two. I have an old boss who has twin uh, children, twin girls, and one's trans right now. And I've um, done as much as I could do. I have a great relationship with my boss, uh, and he knows my background and everything, and I've given him lots of information that substantiates the risk in allowing his daughter to transition to male, but his whole medical community has assured him there is no risk, and sure, if I finish, if she finishes the puberty blockers and goes through puberty, yeah, she can go back and back up the bus and all of that. So that's kind of a legal issue, medical issue, and a parental issue. So maybe you guys could speak to that. Yeah, just in short, this is uh, some research I'm still in the process of doing. I hope to put a lot more out there. I have two hard copies with me, but I also have a PDF copy of about 30-something pages I've put together so far of just quotes of medical doctors, psychologists, um, research data, and quotes of regretters, and I have much, much more. You can see me after if you want that information, um, or you can also go to my website at transgendertotransformed.com email me. It's in your notes. That website's in your notes. Um, but email me and I will be glad to send you what I have so far. I will just add that um, medical doctors can't make those kinds of claims because these are experimental treatments, right? There really isn't any kind of long-term studies done on these off-label right. puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, um, because the, the studies simply haven't been done. So they are taking the words of the activists right now. There was a bo bo the Bostock decision that just came out in the UK last December, Kira Bell's case, you know, that she brought before them. The UK is now, re yes, Travis Stock, thank you. Bostock is the US Supreme Court decision from last July. Yeah. Um, but yes, they said, you know, children cannot consent to this. These are experimental. You now have to have a court decision, a court judge to say that they can take these cross-sex hormones. At the same time, they discovered massive bone density problems that uh, resulted from these puberty blockers. So the medical claims saying that it's reversible, that it's temporary, um, those are unfounded at best. Yeah. But he's still being told that anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. I think because the activists are running the medical community right now. Absolutely. Katie, there's one here for uh, you. Can you expand on the day-to-day -day function of them before us? Yes, so there were some good Q&A that came in, um, and I've put some of that in writing because we weren't sure if we were going to get to it. Um, but I 
said in that response that them before us has a very modest goal of a total global takeover <laughs> of all conversations about marriage and family, whether it's in culture or whether it's in the courts, whether it's in Indiana or whether it's in Italy, that we just think that every place that conversations about marriage and family happen should always begin with what about the kids? That's where you start. And if you center all conversations around a child's right to be known and loved by their mother and father and work your way outward, you arrive at the proper personal decisions and the proper policy decisions as well. So we spend a lot of time publishing the stories of kids, um, which are, we say in our book, they're very expensive stories to tell, right? If an adult wants to talk about, oh, finally I found my true self, you know, by escaping with this guy from the office who really gets me, you know, and yeah, I mean, my kids will be fine. They're still going to see their dad every other weekend or whatever it is, right? Um, that that woman tells that story and everybody around her goes, oh, yes, live your best life, girl. You know, do it, right? Or you've got the dad who decides to transition and become a woman, right? Everybody's saying, oh, I'm so sorry you had to live in the closet all your life. Um, your kid is going to be so happy because you're now being true to yourself, right? So like adults, when they share their story of longing or desire, you know, the gay couple that's trying to raise $150,000 for their GoFundMe account so they can afford a surrogate-born child, you know, because they've been rejected by so many adoptive agencies. If only they could raise $150,000, they'll truly be able to give the child, you know, have the child of their dreams or whatever. Any adult who's talking about what they want in marriage and family, they share that with the culture and everybody swoons and affirms them. The kids who tell their side of the story about the pain and loss they experienced when their dad transitioned to become a woman, or the child who was intentionally motherless, who wondered, have I walked past my biological mother on the street today? Does she know that I exist? Um, you know, the kid who then is still serving as the go-between for mom and dad who have been warring for the last 40 years and still splitting Christmases, even you know while they're trying to shepherd their own children. I mean, a kid tells those stories and the world sneers at them, right? And so most kids can't really talk about what they experienced as a kid and still maintain all of their family relationships. So one thing that we do at Them Before Us is we have a story bank of kids who lost a relationship with their mom or dad so that you can look honestly at kids created through sperm donation or with two moms or um, who grew up in a polygamous family and say, did they love it? Was there no impact to their childhood or adulthood? And you look at them in their face and you go, nope. Very often, it resulted in one of the deepest wounds that they've experienced, you know, and it continues to plague them as an adult. So one thing that we do is we publish the stories of kids. Because honestly, people in the pro-family world, we've always had the best data. We've always had the best research. We've had the five major religions of the world on our side. But we've never been able to humanize the child side of the story, and so we've continued to lose because the other side tells a better story. So that's one thing that we do, is we put the stories of kids front and center. If you do end up getting a copy of the book, there's like 130 stories in there of kids in modern families. So you can look at them and, and ask yourself, is this the kind of thing that we should normalize and incentivize? Uh, then we try to reframe trending news from the child's perspective so that we train people to start thinking about things from the kid's perspective. But then we'll also file an amicus brief with the Supreme Court if we can. Um, we will also like speak at 
conferences around the world if we can. Um, send letters to different representatives um, that are having state battles over the definition of parenthood or commercial surrogacy or whatever. So we want to change hearts and we want to change laws. Um, and we want to do it in every corner of the globe. Okay. Um, can I add one thing um, to um, something you said last night about how kids that are um, have just one parent, or whether, or I guess you were talking about kids that have two dads, and oh, you're so lucky you have two dads. And one thing I've been told a lot when I um, when I first started talking about my my mom, I actually didn't talk about my dad much, and people would go. Oh well, you had you were loved by your dad, and it was like oh well, everything should have been fine because you had the love of one parent, and it's like there was a profound hole without having the love of my mother. Even though yes, both were in the home, and I had a very doting, loving father, but I still desperately needed the love of my mother. Well, and you know, when you were talking, I thought I need to do a better job of emphasizing this little strand that when I speak in the future is you're exactly right. Sometimes the most painful is to have a father sitting in your home totally ignoring you, yeah. right? Because then the rejection's front and center every single day. Like, he comes home, you know, I actually heard this from an older man one time. He, he provided for us. He came home, but then he put his feet up and read the newspaper, and he would never look at me or pay attention to me or come to any of my games. And, and it's like I just saw the rejection sitting across from me in the living room every single night. Um, and what that communicated to him is, you're not a man like me right? You're not like me. You don't belong with me. Um, and so kids need, obviously, they cannot enjoy the love of their, in fact, we talk about this at Them Before Us, three staples of a child's social emotional diet, the love of their mother, the love of their father, and stability. Yeah. Now, you will never find that in any place outside of the married mother-father home. But even in the married mother-father home, children may be starved of the love of their mother or the love of their father. And so it's a call for us parents who still have kids in the home to make sure we stay connected to our kids. So I just want to broaden that just a little bit more because I had the love of my father and I had the love of my mother, but what was broken in their relationship is my father's view of who what it means to be a man, and he sexualized everything. And my mother was quite weak in her position as mother. She loved me desperately, but it was clear who ruled the roost. Our whole family revolved around the brokenness of my father and minimizing any trouble in his life. So that made me while my mother was engaged with me, I did not want to be my mother because she was weak and vulnerable and used and was only there for my, my dad's pleasure. And there was more to me than to pleasure some man. So that's another factor in how, ho how well they're walking in their gender as well. This is a little bit outside of what I'm supposed to be talking about. But the pathway to same-sex attraction is actually really different between men and women, right? Um, and that it's very common for men to have a weak or absent relationship with dad. But there's like several different pathways for women to arrive at a same-sex attraction. And a lot of it does have to do with seeing the mother in their home and saying, if that's what womanhood looks like, I am not, I cannot be that. Right? Whether it is an abusive or over-controlling mom or a weak mom or maybe a mom that suffers with mental illness who just cannot 
function the way that she should, some part of that gender, the love of one's own biological sex in a girl does come from watching their mom do femininity and deciding whether or not they want to embrace that or reject it. Sorry, so we'll take this even a little bit farther. In my healing journey, so I have five children, I have four boys and a daughter. Talk about big time surprise. Um, so I was 44 when I had her, but let me tell you at least one of the reasons why the Lord gave us a fifth child, and that child is a girl. Everything that I rejected in being a girl growing up, I had no chance to relive my childhood, but in the raising of my daughter, I have experiencing I had experienced everything that I missed, and even more so because while I would primp and care for my daughter and do her hair and all that kind of stuff, say we were getting ready for church on Sunday, when I was finished with her, she'd hug me and run immediately to her dad and do whatever, spin, twirl, whatever, so dad could affirm in her how much of a woman she really is because she didn't believe it from me. She learned it from me. She believed it from dad. And that was so healing to my own soul, <laughs> even though I was 44 when I had her. It's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, I, I'm just going to say one more thing about that. <laughs> I love it so much. I love it so much. So one time, my husband and I, when we had our kids were really little, we were living with um, a lesbian. And I'm not going to go into detail, but we lived with this lesbian for a while. And um, sometimes our kids would get in trouble. And the woman would go, oh no, oh no, they're going to get so mad at her. And we would walk out and we would say, honey, why would you do that? Come here, come here. We don't treat the dog that way. Honey, we don't do that. Come here, it's okay. Now go over and tell the dog you're sorry. And she goes, she goes every single time you do that, I would just relax. And I, and I felt like you were parenting me. You know, I felt like as I watched the two of you nurture your child and, and correct and rebuke, but not shame and not reject, that you were parenting me. And I felt like there was something that like loosened up and healed inside of me. And so I do think that we are able to, um, you know, my husband, my husband grew up in a, my parents divorced, but they were very friendly with one another. My husband's parents divorced, and he was like a pawn in their war against one another. And he did not have any kind of healthy markers in terms of like what a husband and wife should look like. It was, you know, the remarriages that took place did not give him a pattern that he wanted to follow, right? Um, but he became friends with an, a little boy in his neighborhood when he was eight, and he would go over to their house, and he's like, this is really weird. The mom and dad both live in this house together. And the dad stays here every night, and so do the kids. Like, the kids don't go to different houses on the weekend. So strange. And then they all sit down at dinner together, and they laugh. And nobody throws anything. And when he was an eight-year-old, he remembers standing in their living room and going, when I become a dad my house is going to be like this house. It's not going to be like my own house. And, 
you know, he continued to have a very hard childhood, but he always had that very stark reminder of what it could be, right? And I think that's like what C.S. Lewis talks about when he says, you don't know how crooked a stick is until you lay a straight stick next to it. And all of us have an opportunity to be the straight stick, you know, for the person who is in our life who maybe didn't have it, can't see it. And that's not to say we're perfect, and that's not to say we're the Savior, because we're not, right? But we get to give them a picture of what it looks like to have a healthy marriage or to parent in a way that responds and respects both the male and the female presence. Um, And that actually can have a really big impact, right? Because sometimes kids don't even know that an alternative is possible. Boy, was that a long answer. (laughs) You know what, though? It was great. And uh, is biblical counseling recommended for people? So many testimonies seem deeper than the average church person would know what to say. So. Well, I can I can tell you one. Um, I love this story, and I can't remember whose story this is. So one of the day, one of these days, they're going to hear me on video and go, "That's me." And I hope they tell me. Um, but this guy was telling me one time he was living as a homosexual, and uh, he had gone to church, and I think. I don't remember if he got saved and then this woman mentored him or if she led him to the Lord, but either way, this 80-year-old woman that knew nothing about homosexuality, but she loved the Lord, and she made a huge difference in this man's life. And I think really as um, as biblical counselors, so um, or uh, just as church people, we can have a huge impact on people, just loving people and letting the Holy Spirit lead us. He is our teacher and he is our guide and he's their teacher and their God, but he can lead us through these conversations. He can help you with what to say, but a lot of listening, asking good questions, and then relating it to the truth that you know. Um, but and then, but I think it is good also to to recommend maybe a good biblical counselor in your area, or if you really have a burden, you know, there's also training for it if you want so. Um, This one's nice. I don't have a question right now. I just want to thank all of you for your honesty and your heart and and for our great God who does amazing things. God bless you. Jennifer, how would you go about opening up conversation with your lesbian daughter who doesn't seem to want to talk about it? Well, if she doesn't want to talk about it, there's not much you can do about that. But you don't have to really talk about that issue. You can just treat her as a woman and be interested in who she is as an individual to have relationship. God, and of course, be be praying because God is working on the inside whether you see it or not. And he is, like in Laura's case, she mentioned about the the credit card where she had to own up to the reality of who she was on a regular basis. God is always doing that. There's always a pathway that he's working inwardly while you're relating um, together. And I think there's something really important too, depending upon the age of your child, there is a normal process of releasing your children to the Lord and into their adult life. And if they transition at the same time they're leaving the home, it really clouds that whole issue. It makes it really hard. 
So even if your child is the model child, when they step out of your home, you will grieve your dream of who you expect them to be. That's normal parenting. So you have to, you have to take that to the side and work that issue on your own with the Lord because they are going to become who they are going to become and you have to turn them over. Then if they have that as an issue on top of it, then you know, it's another or a different part of the journey. But out of my five children, I have four out of the home. I have my daughter is left. And so my oldest son checked up with his girl before they got married. They now have my only uh, grandbaby. And when, when that got disclosed to us, we were actually planning and participating in my next son's wedding. <laughs> and my son came to me, you know, I had a house full of people and separated by this is a girl's room, this is a boy's room, all that kind of stuff. And my son comes to me and says, uh, Mom, gee, you know, uh, well, like, I never really told you, but like Skylar and I live together and we'd like to room together. And I said, you're welcome to do that, but not in my home. So if you want to find a space someplace else, that's on your dime and your decision, and you have to stand before God on that. We had the wedding. It was a beautiful moment. Back to my house, and then we had a, a chat with my son. We called him into our bedroom. This is where we did all our family talks, and we just laid it on the line. Honey, this is not your best for her. You tell us that you love her. If you really loved her, you'd have married her first, but you didn't do that. So you need to make a decision before the Lord. If you love her, give her your best. And we didn't say another word. They did eventually get married. And I did have a chat with his wife after that, maybe a year later. And she said, I didn't know what it was. He just really needed to marry me. I didn't need to get married, but, you know, and I just had to laugh. <laughs> and now they have this beautiful daughter, which they would have had anyway, probably, if they were still living together. So now, are they walking with the Lord, going to church, taking her to school, all that? No, none of that's going on. She's actually not a believer. But I'm leaving that to the Lord, and I'm loving her as best I can. She is a part of our family. She is the mother of my grandbaby, and I'm just going to trust the Lord with that. And, you know, I could tell you other stories from my kids, too. But So you just have to meet your children where they're at and know that when they step out of your home, you are going to have to grieve. Can I ask a question since yeah. I have them both here? Okay, here's my question. Um, so I would say that women who experience same-sex attraction have a gender wound, right? It is some level of rejection of their femaleness. And that women that go on to identify as men just have a more extreme rejection of their femaleness, right? That it's sort of somewhat of a spectrum, right? And so I have not had as many friends who have experienced, women who have experienced transgender feelings and would like to transition or have transitions, but I've had plenty of lesbian friends. And many of them who would say they love the Lord, they're believers, but they're struggling, okay? And so one thing that I have tried to do with them, and I want to know whether or not this sounds like it's helpful or harmful, is I try to use really feminine language with them, right? I try to say, hey, sister, get over here, right? Come on, girl, let's do this, right? I try to include them in female-only activities like planning baby showers or cooking a meal. I'll be like, me and my girls are going to make a big pot of soup. Come join us, right? So I can show, like, connect what they're doing with their femaleness. Um, 
and use female typical terms with them. Um, in addition, like with kids who seem to maybe, I think some kids naturally will like really attach to their own femaleness or maleness. Like some boys you can just tell you like, this kid's all boy. But then there's some boys where you're like, you know what? I think that he could really struggle with accepting his male body. And so, you know, for them, I would say try to use terms like John, Johnny. I love how you dress your bear. You're going to be a really good dad, right? Take whatever it is they're doing it and connect it with their maleness. So if somebody were to have done that with one of you guys, when you were in that world and really used female-specific language to address you, not in an antagonistic way, but like in a loving way, would that have been... How would you have taken that? Because I heard you saying your mom was like trying to be like, honey, sweetie. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, that's smart, smart mom. So what, would, what do you think about that? Well, um, this is actually... I, I'm so glad you brought this up. So I had... Um, and I don't know how I would have responded like right as I was going into that lifestyle because I was rejecting the female identity entirely. But as a kid, I was struggling because as much as I was wanting to be like my brother, I desperately wanted to fit in with the girls. And actually, I had this, uh, the Lord reminded me a few months ago of this really painful memory of um, when I was a little girl and all my friends were, were dancing and I didn't know how to dance. And I remember just feeling like I wasn't one of these girls and they, no one was trying to help me or, you know, and like, I just remember, and I, I realize now there's a lot of kids that can't dance, but I just, but I just remember, I, I had this feeling a lot, like I just couldn't fit in with them. And I was like, but, but I will to answer your question specifically though, I had, when I came out of the lifestyle, the Lord, right around the same time, the Lord brought this woman into my life that she was also new at the church about the time I moved home. And she was a um, about eight years older than me, maybe. She was married, had six kids, and was, I mean, we had nothing in common. But I'm telling you, the Lord told her to be very intentional with me um, about affirming my femininity. And she did exactly what you're saying. It was so healing to me. And then, um, and she's become my best friend. And then the, um, on top of that, the Lord eventually put me on um, working at the church where I was one of the female assistants. And we were, like, each minister had a female assistant. And I was, like, on this team of girls. We did everything together. And we would, um, you know, we were, like, this team of girls. And I was just one of the girls. And I remember that being so healing to my identity. And I think that's a huge part of my healing. So I think, yes, to answer that question in... Um, you know, if there's somebody that's really, re even if they are rejecting it, though, like, I think there's something about that that calls, there's this war of what they want and what they actually need, you know, and so there were times that, um, yeah, my, my mom would call me Laura and stuff, and it's like, I hated it, and yet it tapped into something so deep down that was desperate to come out. I think um, certainly that will never hurt how much it it helps that individual depends on where they're at at the time. Like I have similar stories of God bringing women into my life and help, helping me learn all the things that I didn't get growing up because I played in the world of boys. I knew and still to this day put me in a boardroom with VPs and presidents, I'm good. I can hold my own, I can back and forth, all that kind of stuff. I've had to learn all of the female relating skills and I've done that and 
I needed a lot of help. And so that affirmation while I was journeying was beneficial. Some women are, are reacting to what they're seeing in the masculine because it's dangerous. And they're not, they are in touch with their femininity, but they're clear that they don't want anything to do with that. And unless they're called to celibacy, you only got two choices, opposite sex or same sex. So they go that way because it's safer and they know they don't want that. And a lot of times women will go have sex with men to see and sure enough, yeah, they're nasty. Don't want anything to do with them. So it won't help in that regard because the wound is on the other side. But it never, I don't think, hurts, even if they do respond negatively to it. But I have learned, <laughs> it's so funny. So my older sister is feminine and all this other kind of stuff. And to this day, if I go clothes shopping, it's so much easier for me to take her with me and she'll pull 20 shirts off of a rack that I'll have walked by and not saw one that will work. And I think, how did you find those shirts? Because that, that lives in her. I've had to learn it. So now I copy people well, you know, so I've learned how to do that on my own. I don't need my sister anymore. But I'll tell you in the beginning, I couldn't find feminine clothes to save my soul, <laughs> you know. Well, you know, we could probably go on like this forever. But uh, because it's so wonderful to hear all of your perspectives. And uh, Sherry, if you want to just uh, do some housekeeping and then I'll close in prayer. Do some housekeeping? Well, I know you have something to ask. Okay, I have one question. Katie, did you really say what big thing should, we, should you ask the Lord for and then say we have a modest goal, a total takeover? <laughs> okay, just checking. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, did she really say that? Okay. Um, I think you have your big thing. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me what to do, God. Tell okay. Me what to do. Okay. All right. Anyway, sorry. I just had to give you a bad time. Like, I'm like, really? Um, anyway, I want to thank you all for coming so much. Um, if you would like to get newsletter, um, Path of Life's newsletter, or sign up for volunteering, there is a sign-up sheet out at the reception or reception desk. Yeah, it is a reception desk, isn't it? The check-in desk, registration desk, and please, so please do so. Or you can either do that on our website too. If you go to pathoflifespokane.org, we'd love to have you keep in touch with us. Um, we don't automatically put you on the newsletter list because we do have to check a little box that said this person gave me permission to put them on the newsletter list. So we wait for you to indicate that you would like that. Um, please fill out your evaluations. We really truly want to know what you think because we do want to continue to do this annually and we want to continue to improve. And then as far as your lanyards go, if you wouldn't mind just, you know, putting them on the, um, recep the reception. Do you love it? Registration desk when you leave. We'd greatly appreciate that. All right. Thank you. And Jeff, do you want to close us in prayer? Let's pray. Oh, yeah. one more thing. Clo uh, guys upstairs. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Lena. Please pray with me. Lord, over these last two days, you have blessed us so much with the words of our speakers and with your word that was infused throughout. Lord, the power is from your word and from our relationship with you. Lord, we are broken people, but we have heard stories of transformation 
and of truth, Lord. Thank you so much for your word and the strength and the power that have been, that, that you have blessed these uh, people, our presenters, with. Um, you've brought them through hell, and you've blessed them so. And they had a chance to come to us and bless us. Um, we will all struggle, Lord. We ask that you would use us in our struggles to be able to come around in the future to others and bless them as we have been blessed this weekend. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your power in our world and for your saving grace. In Jesus' name, amen.